I'll just talk loud. So we are intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially. Psalm 62. If you would stand with me, we'll read from Psalm 62 as we continue worshiping the Lord. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And Lord, you are our rock and our refuge and our salvation and our strength. You uphold the needy and the weak. You give strength to the humble. You oppose the proud and you bring down those who exalt themselves. And you alone are Lord and God. And so we love you and we worship you. God, we are needy and poor. Revelation says that we are wretched and pitiable and blind and poor. And so we need you. We come to you as the fountain of living waters. And so satisfy us this morning with yourself. Help us to know you and love you and show us your glory and your beauty, Lord. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Remain standing and we'll sing this morning.
Thank you. 
if you would remain standing with me and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This morning we'll be continuing uh, our study in Ecclesiastes, and Pastor Mike will preach from verses 8 and 9. And so that's what we'll read together. Ecclesiastes 5, 8 and 9. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. You may have a seat, and we're going to pray together. As we do, we want to remember... Um, our missionaries, Nate and Kayla. Nate and Kayla work in the Global South, and they're going to be going back home to a very, very difficult um, field on the 21st of this month. And so they were actually here with us in first hour, and we'll be praying for them again. So um, if you would, bow your heads with me, and let's pray for, for Nate and Kayla, and let's pray also for our morning here together. Father, you, you are the creator, and we are your creatures. You're in heaven and we're on earth. You spoke everything into existence and you hold it together. You need nothing. You don't need anyone. You're holy. You're righteous. You're a consuming fire. And yet you bring us near to you and you're kind and you're merciful and you're gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, giving us a relationship with you through your son. You are near. You hear when we pray. You're close and you desire to be close to us. And so we praise you for that. You've carried us every moment of our lives. And so we worship you, Father, for creating every molecule in this universe, for sustaining it, for speaking it into existence. We worship you, Jesus, for the blood that you shed and the punishment that you took on our behalf. We worship you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes to the truth, giving us spiritual life, keeping us near to you even when we wander away. Thank you for your kindness that you pour out day after day, moment by moment. And Lord, like this verse tells us, we see oppression in the world. We see wickedness in the world. And we cling to the hope that you will one day make all things right. Everything will be perfectly paid for, whether on the cross or in hell. There will be no injustice. You will leave nothing forgotten or no loose ends in the end. And so we worship you for that, that you are the upright, just judge of all the earth. Lord, please help Nate and Kayla as they uh, head back to the field, Lord. Open doors that were previously closed. Open hearts to the gospel. Uh, break through that hard soil that is resistant to the truth. May their marriage be strong. May they have endurance and faithfulness on the field, Lord. May their team have unity. May areas where, where Satan has had a stronghold for lies, may they be destroyed by the truth of the gospel. And may you allow the truth to penetrate into areas it's never been before. Lord, we pray that you would make the gospel shine and that you would save souls through their ministry. Lord, we ask really the same thing here this morning, that you would save and that you would sanctify, that you would build us up, change us, transform us by the truth of your word as it's preached with power and clarity. Lord, help Pastor Mike, help us to listen well, and Lord, help us to bow in submission to you as King and Lord and Savior. We love you and we worship you and we thank you for all that you are. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
you can be ours forevermore, that we can have life eternal with you. God, thank you that we've, we've been given that life freely uh, because of the cross and because of what you paid so dearly with your own blood. We thank you for covering our sins, for washing them out, for blotting them out, for allowing us this day to be called to be faithful and to know that we can bring you glory in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to those that are joining in near and far, uh, those here under the tent, as well as those over in the worship center on the live stream, as well as those locally on the live stream, and then to the ends of the earth. You know, we have people in different countries watching us, and so hello to those in France and other places. Uh, as we trust uh, the Spirit of God to use the Word of God in our lives today, we come to a place, passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes, about predatory politics and personal pain. Predatory politics and personal pain. And we're handling the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, bringing it to bear upon our current situation. And we're coming to this passage, and I know what it's like for all of us. It's very easy, is it not, to get riled up about all the ideas and political things and painful injustice that we see in the world. It's very easy to get stirred up and to even get angry and to lash out, not give the most gracious of responses to people, forget to phone a friend before you press send, uh, forget to, to check with a trusted advisor before you just you know, lash out. And what happens is it affects our worship, it affects our fellowship, and it affects our gospel witness. And so we need uh, to, uh, to do what the Word of God says, uh, to believe what it says. Uh, we know, especially in America, nothing sharply divides us as much as politics. Several weeks ago, I preached a sermon entitled uh, Politics and Christian Community in Ecclesiastes 4, 13 through 16. And the whole point was that we ought to wisely accept the leaders that God graciously provides. And some of you were like, okay, we got the political sermon out of the way, let's move on. And, and last week we were on worship. It was about worship. But lo and behold, in God's perfect timing, in His providential orchestration of all things, we're back into politics today, in the next passage. And God's word is so applicable. And I know, uh, the time, when I preached on politics and Christian community, I asked some of you, I asked all of you, can you go seven days without pushing your political opinions? And I, I, it was hard for a lot of you. Some of you aren't making eye contact because, you know, you crashed and burned. You know, there's a baby steps to seven days. Oh, no. Okay, seven days is over. Now I get to do whatever I want. Um, and look, it doesn't mean you can't have political views. You just have to be careful with them. And Christians should speak up. God's word is so applicable. In his perfect timing, politics springs up again in Ecclesiastes 5, 8, and 9. This time, though, from a different vantage point. The context is you're coming out of the house of God. It's context of worship. So you're coming out of the house of God, and what do you see? You see injustice. You see oppression. You see the poor being mistreated. 
You see, people are treating the world like a perpetual pinata, just greedily grabbing whatever they can for themselves with no care for anyone else. And so here we're going from worship to politics, where we saw with worship that the right way to worship God, this is verses 1 through 7, fully surrendered, quietly listening to God's word, carefully speaking in prayer to God, well, now you go from the right way to worship God to witnessing injustice and oppression. Now, here's the good part. Starting with worship sets the table for a godly response uh, to oppression and injustice. Oppression and injustice must be met, met with a biblical perspective. If as a Christian, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're trusting his shed blood in your place on the cross, you're trusting him for salvation. You know, he died for your sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead on the third day. And he's coming back with blessing for those who believe and judgment for those who do not. If you believe Christ, then you need to have the gospel shape your perspective and you must meet the culture with a biblical perspective. We are navigating life in a time of political overreach, authoritarian lockdowns, civil unrest, disease, fires, even anarchy. You read God's word, nothing new. There's nothing new there. And if you're a believer, God is with you. God is with the church. And the Bible builds you a, a Christ-honoring view of the world. Puts perspective in perspective. I remember back in 1985, Minolta came out with a camera that, you know, changed the face of cameras at that moment in time. Some of you are like, this is so old school. Yes, yes, it is. So, I realize that right now you just pick up your phone and you take a picture with your phone and it auto-focuses the whole deal. But in 1985, when they brought out the Maxim 7000, and how do I know this? Because I have one. I, my parents got it for me in 1987 on, when I was going to Irian Jaya, Indonesia, on a missions trip. And I took that twice all over around the world. But this camera was the first uh, mass-produced uh, auto-focus SLR, single lens reflex. Before that time, to take a picture, you had to actually know how to focus a camera, uh, which I never learned. I think that was my first camera, so I started with the autofocus, right? So here's the deal. Instead of having to work hard to focus it, the camera did it for you. You press this little button, it focuses, you look, boom, point and shoot. It was amazing, all right? Now it's just like assumed. But here's the thing. You read the Bible, you can't just say, oh, it's going to give me this automatic worldview. I've been reading my Bible, so it's going to just be automatic. No, you've got to read the Bible, take it in, think it through, and then actively apply it into your situations. It's not just some automatic thing that happens. What perspective is needed to deal uh, in a godly way with you know, predatory politics and personal pain. The perspective is in believing something. You have to believe something, and then that belief 
needs to shape your responses. What do you need to believe? What this passage is telling us is that you need to believe that God sees depravity and he rules mercifully. He sees depravity, he rules mercifully. And so therefore you must trust the righteous, merciful king. God sees depravity, rules mercifully, so you must trust the righteous, merciful king. This is the context that has been set. Verse 7 ends with this. You must fear God. You have to fear God. You, you've got to worship Him. You've got to have your life revolve around the reality of who He is and what He says. And the Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. What, what is that? What's the fear of the Lord? It includes reverent, dependent worship on a moment-by-moment -moment basis in your life. It, it has to do with receiving the forgiveness of God in Christ based on the shed blood of Christ at the cross. It has to do with believing the promises of God and the word of God and then acting upon those promises and obeying the promises of God and the directives of God. It, it has to do with hoping in God. That's what it means to fear God. And so starting with that, if you fear God, you need to believe some things, and, and there's really two wise truths that this passage gives us. They're very simple, they're very memorable, and they give us perspective to navigate predatory politics and personal pain. Let me give you the first one. The first is this, verse 8. Things can get bad. Things can get bad. Look at verse 8. Put your eyes on verse 8. I want you to read that. I'm going to read it out loud. I want you to read that verse and see what it says. If you see in a province, so it's a place where people live and they've got rulers ruling over them. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness. If you see that, Solomon has already observed this in chapter 3 verse 16. He says, I saw in the place of justice there was wickedness. He observed it in Ecclesiastes 4.1. I saw all the oppressions, the tears of the oppressed, and no one to comfort them. You see these things, it just crushes the heart. But he says, if you see these things, verse 8, don't be amazed. Don't be shocked. The psalmist cries out in Psalm 55, verse 9, I see violence and strife in the city. Don't be shocked at that. Don't be amazed. 1 John 3.13 tells believers, don't be surprised if the world hates you. We live in a depraved, sinful world. So the first thing I want you to notice here is that when you see the poor oppressed, when you see injustice, when you see rights violently taken away, don't be amazed. Don't be all shocked. This is expected from depraved humanity. Corruption hurts. Corruption makes pain. There are political predators. People taking power and not thinking about those they lead. Augustine of Hippo in the City of God said this, remove justice and what are kingdoms but gangs of criminals on a large scale? What are criminal gangs but petty kingdoms? Alexander the Great once asked a captured pirate, what is your idea in infesting the sea? And the pirate answered, the same as yours in infesting the earth. 
Because I do it with a tiny craft, I'm called a pirate. But because you have a mighty navy, you're called an emperor. We have to think about the current climate as it relates to the Christians right now. It's hard not to think about what's going on in America right now, especially in California, especially those of us that live in California. And it doesn't matter your opinion or your political persuasion, or you can't deny the fact that the goalposts keep moving. Pivot is the word, right? It was unprecedented, and then we went through a string of words that we were all using, and now it's pivot. The other day I was talking to a pastor friend, and we both simultaneously said, with all the changes coming in and all the different, you know, things, uh, we keep pivoting. We're both like, that's the word, pivot. Some people see this current moment in America, and especially in California, as an attack on the church. The diabolical plan of the devil to stop churches. Other people see it as a politicized plan to bring certain agendas in, and churches just so happen to be collateral damage, and there's some politicians that aren't unhappy about that. Well, so whether you think it is a nefarious, demonic scheme to hurt churches, or just overreach and overreaction by politicians leveraging their power, this passage of Scripture fits this moment. No matter where you're landing, it fits. The Bible rises against the temporal immediate and speaks to the issues with a long-range view. That's what you need to have, a long-range view. Things can get bad. And Christians must allow the Bible to drive the political views. And there are checks and balances. Things get bad, but there are checks and balances. Look at verse 8. If you see oppression, violation of justice, righteousness, don't be amazed. Because... Look at it. The high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. So people watch each other and keep each other in line for good or evil, by the way. There's checks and balances. There's either a hierarchy of evil corruption or the good exercise of power. Someone's watching someone all the time. I mean, think about it. The struggle for power always kicks out the underdog, right? Underdogs always suffer in the struggle for power. That's why we're rooting for the underdog all the time, right? And what happens is everyone's serving the one above them, and they're waiting to take their place while lording it over those below them. I remember getting picked on in elementary school by a bully, so I just found someone I could pick on and bully them too. We're watching each other suspiciously. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog kind of world. This is what depravity brings. German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche uh, lived 1844 to 1900. He was the son of a Lutheran pastor. So he probably heard the word of God read in the home. He was the first one to coin the phrase, God is dead. He said the world happened by random chance. He said there's no purpose, there's no objective truth. And he launched an aggressive attack on Christianity. In 1889, he started to show signs of insanity. He lived like that until he died in 1900. And his ideas, as well as ideas of a lot of other people, have infected the world. And mankind is depraved and oppressive without those kind of ideas. And with them, it gets worse. Why does the Bible tell us evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived? But there's watchful accountability. We should be happy for that. We should be glad. We should be thankful. It's a mercy from God. 
I remember when I was in high school, I worked at Sal's Italian Market in Downey, great place for a young Italian guy to work. And they had the pizza room, the bakery, the, the market, the little cafe. It was awesome. I loved it. But what we didn't love so much is that up above in the back, there was this big window. Uh, Sal sat up there watching us. You couldn't see in the window. It was all mirrored, right? And so we were like, we were on our toes all the time until Sal or his son went home. Because back then, there was, it was like, you know, late 70s. There was no video cameras on us. But here's the point here. Uh, everyone's watching somebody, and there's an even higher authority. God sees. God sees. He sees depravity. He's not blind to it. He knows what's going on. He sees what someone said to you. He saw what someone posted. He sees how you're being treated. He sees what you're doing. There was an office once where a person was caught stealing money and, you know, doing illegal things. The funny thing is the person who got caught was the person who got the security cameras all put in, and they got caught by their own security cameras. Well, the good news for a Christian is it's all on camera in God's economy. He sees everything. In Isaiah 59, verse 14, it speaks of justice being turned back. Refused and righteousness standing far away, and how truth has stumbled in the public squares. Is that not a commentary on this current moment? Truth stumbling in the public square? Uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Is that not a commentary on our current moment? Do the right thing, and you might get shouted down for it. A mob might come after you for it. But it says this, the Lord saw it. God sees, God knows. And it displeased him that there was no justice. So he takes matters into his own hands. He's the creator of the universe. He's God over all. He saw and there was no one to intercede and his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Just like God to do what God does. And God will judge. God sees depravity and he will judge. Psalm 58, 11 tells us, Surely there is a God who judges on earth. He judges in righteousness. He judges with justice. So no matter what the politics involved, what the politics imposed or pain inflicted upon you, everything is ultimately under God. You have to grasp that. You've got to believe that. If you're going to navigate this moment with godliness. Ecclesiastes, living in light of dying, the whole theme of the book, that everything matters. Because you're living in light of dying, everything matters. Every action, every choice, every word, even every penny. Next week we're going to launch into our view on money and, and, and how that can ruin us. But everything matters. God says in Isaiah 3, what, what do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor? The psalmist declares in Psalm 10, O Lord, you hear the cry of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. God's going to take care of matters. 
Psalm 140 verse 12 says, The Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted. He will execute justice for the needy. God cares and God will take care of it. And rulers are going to answer to someone higher and ultimately they're going to answer to God. And subjects are going to answer to their superiors and ultimately they must answer to God. And Christians are going to answer to God. And, and Christians should speak out humbly and boldly about the just injustice and the oppression they see as they follow Christ and obey Scripture. I think many Christians silence themselves unnecessarily from addressing things that afflict gospel ministry. And I think many Christians overstate their case and ignore biblical truth. But you've got to find your balance. As you're believing that God will judge and that God sees depravity, you've got to be able to do what God calls you to do in this moment. Psalm 95 verse 3 says, The Lord is a great God. He is a great king above all gods. There's no one higher. We have a ruler that answers to no one. He's the ruler of rulers. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. No one higher. He's the one that puts leaders in, into the places they, they find themselves. Daniel 2, 20 and 21 says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And there's going to be ultimate payback. There just will be. In Matthew 13, verse 41, it says, The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God is judge over all. All are going to answer to Him. He's going to work everything out. We're going to answer for everything that we have done and what we have said well, best, best to be covered by the blood of Christ than to be standing in His righteousness and not the filthy rags that you might come up with on your own. So first, verse 8 tells us things can get bad and God sees all and God will judge. And then verse 9, secondly, verse 9, another wise truth, things could get worse. Things could be worse. That's a wise truth. It could be worse. Look at verse 9. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. And you're like, what does that have to do with things getting worse? Well, if the king is committed to cultivated fields, it means he's thinking about the goodwill of the people, and he's letting the people do what is good for them so they can eat and do commerce. So a king who helps commerce is good. Uh, there's an advantage in a ruler who is truly concerned for the welfare of the people and the land. I mean, in every realm of life, you hope for a, a wise and humble person at the head of a country, at the head of a business or an institution. You want someone with ability and humility, right? The Bible tells us the heavens are the Lord's. They're His heavens. Everyone, everyone defaults, though, to doing what is right in their own mind. There's God over all. But things could get worse because people take matters into their own hands. God is a God of order. Disorder dishonors God. 
We're not made to live in confusion. Uh, in the history of the world, uh, humankind continually and persistently and consistently rebels against God's good rule. So God judges sinful autonomy. And now he is reserving the world for fire judgment in patient forbearance. But people will just want to go and do whatever they want. It's called anarchism. The poison of anarchism is always the same, even if it goes by a different name. It's a political philosophy. It's a, it's a movement that rejects all hierarchy, all authority, calls for abolition of the state. Anarchy is a society without authorities or a governing body. And it doesn't please God. God is overall. And we will answer to him. And he will judge. And it can get worse before it gets better. It was September... America was shocked by a brutal act of terrorism. The day was not September 11th, it was September 6th. Uh, the year was not 2001, it was 1901. The act was not attacking the Twin Towers and the Pentagon, but the assassination of President McKinley. September 6th, 1901. He is addressing the uh, Pan-American Exhibition in Buffalo, New York, and a 28-year-old anarchist approached him and fired two shots in his chest. And the first public words of Theodore Roosevelt after his swearing in were these, when compared with the suppression of anarchy, every other question sinks into insignificance. See, the systems that tolerate anarchy don't last long, and God will not long put up with anarchy. Anarchy poisons, and it's interesting, in this moment, we are witnessing this stunning reversal of law and order in America. Uh, for many people, the mind of anarchy is the new normal for them, where they want no accountability, no authority, no governing body over them. That is diabolical, diametrically opposed to biblical truth. Is justice replaced by jealous anger? And then what happens is the fire is burning and you have authoritarian lockdowns and vanishing options and it fuels the fire and it energizes radicalism. I mean, God is not pleased. You have people right now attacking public servants and the police and the clergy and attacking public buildings and personal property and destroying things and, and nothing, nothing in the Bible says that mob rule is okay. And God is patient. One day he's going to reckon with any who are perpetrating murder and mayhem and evil. And here's the shocking point I need to make that really this passage is making for us. No one likes tyranny. Okay? No one likes abusive rulers. But tyranny is better than anarchy. Things could get worse. If things are bad... And, and tyranny might be present in many places on the globe, but it is better than anarchy, where everyone just does whatever they want. There are leaders that are preying unmercifully upon sincere victims, and they are accountable to others. They ultimately will answer to God. Tyranny is horrible. Anarchy is worse. Imposed kings, and some countries have imposed kings, and elected public officials are all under God who sets up and removes kings. All have feet of clay. Their power is temporary. And we must, as Christians, obey God, uh, respect God-ordained authority, Titus 3, 1 Peter 2, Romans 13. Resist any authority that tells us not to obey God, Acts 4, Acts 5, 
We're to pray for our leaders. They would not hinder gospel ministry, that they would do justly so that people would come to faith in Christ as they hear the gospel freely preached. But you look at this current climate and what it means to be a Christian in this moment. And Solomon's telling us, don't be surprised when you see depravity on display. Peter even said to Christians in the first century, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is coming upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. He was speaking to Christians that would be burned alive for their faith in Christ. And let me just ask you, I mean, you could be sitting here today or listening wherever you're at in the world and say, and let me ask you, have your rights been taken away? There is accountability ultimately to God. Doesn't mean you can't say anything, but just believe that truth. And, and you don't like having someone over you leading you in the way they lead you? It could be worse. You've got to gain that perspective. You've got to believe that perspective. God is going to judge, and yes, it can get worse, but we have a merciful, merciful, almighty king. This year has been weighing heavily on all of us, right? We're still standing or we're still sitting. We're, it's taken its toll, though. Damage has been done. We're still standing by God's grace. Your primary reason to be on earth, if you're a believer, is to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and trust God to save and sanctify as he wills. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, coming again. To serve God and others. Help others, bless others. Trust in Christ, hope in Christ. Endure and persevere in Christ as God gives you strength and perseveres you. But the king over all of us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't say that we follow Jesus Christ as king if we're unwilling to obey those he has put over us in human authority. Civil disobedience is for special circumstances, but not if you get tired of what they're saying or it's gone on so long. It's if what they're saying causes you to disobey God. We must obey God rather than man. You cannot flip the script and say, well, I'm going to put the Constitution above the Bible. Every one of us is experiencing overwhelming issues in life. We're in the middle of a pandemic, whatever you think about it. We're in the middle of racial unrest. We're in the middle of things like fires in California and, and hurricanes in other parts of the country. But in the midst of all of that, all the problems of your life still remain. You still have marriage problems and kid raising problems and work problems and loss and addictions and family difficulties, and, and much, much more. And if you're a Christian today, I want to tell you that, that Jesus is right there with you in those moments. And, and he's the judge standing at the door. And he's the merciful king that reigns over all. And, and he will ultimately judge. And things can get worse. But he is right there with you, giving you strength. He's giving you strength as you face uh, the aggravating all the way to the devastating. 
Isaiah 57, it says, the one who is high and lifted up, whose name is holy, says this, I dwell in the high and holy place. Also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. God wants to revive your heart today. And things and sins are saddening you and pulling you down, burdening your heart, making your heart ache and cry out to God for relief and you know where to turn. You look up to God. You look up to God who is sufficient, who is able, who is adequate. You endure knowing the one king who rules them all. We're servants of the holy, merciful, kind king, the most high God over all the earth. God rules mercifully. That's why when we read in 11, uh, Romans 11.33, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, it's because of his mercy in Christ. Keep coming back throughout my life as a believer to a, a story, a uh, historical record of something that happened. Second Samuel. King David, after taking the throne by God's choice, asks a question. He says, is there anyone surviving out of the relatives of Saul, this previous king who jealously tried to murder him and, and David wanted to know is anyone left now in those days the custom was you kill all the former royal family so there's no you know no, no one trying to get your throne so is anyone left is anyone still alive of Saul's house but he had a reason for doing it he wanted to show the kindness of God to whoever might still be living in Saul's house because it was bond with Saul's son Jonathan who had died in war and Jonathan had a son Saul's grandson who was crippled in both feet and he was living in hiding afraid that David would kill him David sent for him and Mephibosheth, that's his name, Mephibosheth is, is brought before David and expecting to be killed and he falls on his face. And David says this, do not fear. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father and you shall eat at my table always. He made him one of his sons. He brought him into his house to eat at his table. This reflects God's mercy and his love toward us and holding back the punishment we rightly deserve because of our sin uh, very much like Mephibosheth we are separated from the king we're hiding and weak and fearful due to our sin and then the king initiates contact and we humble, humbly receive God's kindness and mercy in Christ and believe Christ. And you're brought into the king's family because he chose you and he called you into fellowship with him. And then you have confident access to him. The Lord Jesus Christ, the, the merciful, righteous king over all, the righteous judge of all. Luke 1 32 said of Christ he will be great and will be called the son of the most high the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David the throne of God the holy throne of mercy 
Jesus reigns. He, he is the judge standing at the door. He's going to right all wrongs. He is the merciful king above all kings. He is the sovereign Lord above all lords. And you can trust him to even the scales. Eventually. Maybe not in our time. And when he evens the scales, eventually it will be heaven or hell. Trust him to use mercy with you to give you wise words. That you would lean heavily on him and walk with wise people who will give you wise advice. Will help you measure your words and actions. You know the body of Christ is a is trustworthy tool in the hand of God to shape and encourage you. You know, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ, and, 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 I, and I so appreciate all of you gathering together because the church is God's plan for your spiritual growth. You trust God and his mercy even in the midst of anarchy. Jesus is a, is a merciful high priest over the house of God. And for a believer, we were once dead in sin. Ephesians 2 tells us that. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we are saved in Christ. All who come to faith in Christ. Titus 3 says we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness... And the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. With the washing of regeneration, making the dead alive, and renewal by the Holy Spirit, and indwelling us with the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is the hope of a Christian. This is why you can believe that God sees all and he will judge and that it can get worse, but God is merciful. You know, after 9-11, 19 years ago, there was this popular yard sign with an American flag on it. You might have had one. It just said, never forget. Never forget. Some took that as an excuse to hate those who attacked us. Jesus says, love your enemies. But we should not forget. We should be vigilant. We should be watchful. A price was paid for our freedom, even our human freedom, a cost involved in securing it and sustaining it. But I want to point you today to a much greater sacrifice and a much greater victory, the one over sin and death purchased by the precious blood of Christ at the cross. Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. 2 Timothy 2.8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Call to mind his magnificent victory over sin and death. The cost was precious blood. What the cross accomplished enables a Christian to believe what God says. Jesus went to the cross, died in our place, shed his blood so that we could have new life. And I know, look, I know, you can get worked up over a lot of things. All of us can. We can get worked up over a lot of things. But fix your gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ now and moment by moment. He is goodness incarnate. There is no one like him. Remember Jesus Christ. Find your rest in him. Be still and know that he is God. Believe that God sees depravity and rules mercifully so you can trust the righteous, merciful king. 
And Lord, we thank you, even though things are bad and things could get worse, that ultimately everyone answers to you overall. We rejoice that we are under your better merciful rule. So we would just declare, let the storms fall, let the nations rage, and we will say all is well. And all will be well in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We have the privilege of coming to the Lord's table today, and if you don't have one of these little packets, praise God that the Bible doesn't stipulate exactly how you do the bread and cup, right? We got these little packets, and uh, if you don't have one, ushers will come and give you one. But there's a little film on top. You can take that off first. Be careful. You take the piece of bread, and if you want to go ahead and open up the... Um, the purple top thing for the juice. I don't want this to distract, but this is what we're working with. And praise God for little cups with little breads on top. If you can call it bread. Some call it styrofoam. Um, what are we doing here? We are remembering Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's what we're doing here. In 1 Corinthians 11, it tells us that Paul says, I received from the Lord, but I delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he says this, a very peculiar saying to some, but very pertinent and important for us right in this moment as we gather as a body to do this. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Therefore, a person must examine themselves and then... So eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What this is telling us very clearly is this, this thing we're doing right now is for the family of God, for people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, who are not trusting their good works to get them to heaven, because that'll only get you to hell. But they're trusting in the shed blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ in our place at the cross. And you, you put your trust in him for salvation. And so when we say, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, when, when we do this in remembrance of him, we're saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins. And then that's the basis for which we believe that God sees all and that God will judge and that God is merciful. And so this is all for believers, any age, any life stage, any, any life situation, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, every believer in Jesus wants to uh, confess their sins and make sure they're right with God. But if you're a believer, don't let any sins you've committed recently keep you from taking the Lord's table. Just come to Jesus with a heart that's open and willing to be cleansed. If you're not a believer today, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then take the bread and cup and rejoice with us in salvation. Jesus said, eat of it, all of you. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
And Lord, we thank you that as often as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we proclaim the Lord Jesus' death until he comes again. Lord, as we live this life and we await Christ's return, we want to live wanting your will, wanting your best, wanting to please you, wanting to live a godly life in humility. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the one that saves and sanctifies as you will. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. guys would stand with us as we sing.
gracious and merciful gift God gave us today to get to gather together. Amen. Thank you for being here and even for those that are watching on the live stream, thank you for joining us and if you're in the tent with us, uh, please when you exit the tent, please go towards the playground side. Please do it quickly, but please hang out on campus and fellowship with one another. Don't leave right away, please. And also uh, we're saying we're encouraging everyone serve somewhere serve, find a place to serve uh, Marty Young is going to be back at the info booth if you want to help with Awana Wednesday nights it's starting on the 23rd I know there's a leader meeting this Wednesday on the 16th we still need some more leaders we also need setup and teardown people uh, because our crews have been doing amazingly over the last several months but we need to bolster those crews as well as the parking ministry to uh, you know say hello to people when they come in and, and help them slow down you know and uh, we need those things, so please go either online or, or talk to one of us. And let me end the service with Jude, verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Amen. God bless you.